It's been two years since your favourite SAS festival has taken place at the RDS in Dublin. But guess what? We won't make it three years. That's right, SASDAQ 2022 is on. And what's even better is that we've opened up our friends and family pre-sale today with a limited batch of the cheapest available tickets. Grab them whilst they last by visiting sasdoccom forward slash sasdoc 2022 Imagine that you could get access to the revenues you'll be generating in the next 12 months already today. What would it mean for you? Capchase helps fast-growing recurring revenue companies finance growth without taking on debt or dilution. Whether you want to invest in growth or R&D, Capchase turns your predictable revenue into growth capital today. Capchase has helped founders unlock hundreds of millions in financing to fuel their growth and on average extend their runway by eight months and spared upwards of 16% dilution. See how insanely easy it is by clicking the link in the show notes or go to capchase.com forward slash sasdoc to learn more. Can't be overstated how important it is to be close to your customers at an, uh, as a an founder and we very much, you know, still, uh, honestly, like it's the favorite thing to do. Also during a fundraise, I had a bit of tactic of whenever I got a rejection, I cut, I texted a customer, I have quite a few on WhatsApp. And, you know, honestly, they all me, always brought me back on track because I knew that like all these people are here, you know, and they are the ones using the product and they are so positive. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show. Uh, Maria Blosinska, CEO and co-founder of Unlock. Welcome, Maria. Thank you, Alex. Really excited to finally be here. <laughs> yeah, great to great to have you on the podcast. We were having a little um, joke beforehand that uh, we've been trying to get this podcast done for the last couple of months, and it's either been myself or yourself for whatever reason. We've not managed to do it, but today we're here. It's happening. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I'm excited for it because obviously I've, I've spoken to you before and heard your story, and I thought, I, you know, I, this would be perfect uh, for the SaaS Revolution Show for our audience so I want to kind of always like repeat that uh, that conversation, uh, which was mostly you talking, uh, but telling a, a fantastic story, um, and uh, and yeah, getting into it. So I guess uh, I'm, I'm building it up here, but sort of before we get into the story, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Uh, who is uh, Maria Blosinska? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm a very curious and adventurous person. I'm born and raised in Sweden, but my parents are Polish. I also always, you know, had very much a strong sort of, you know, excitement around connecting with people as a natural sort of relationship builder. I think I always felt that probably in my life, you know, I should go into the career path of sales somehow. So after I graduated my master's in international business school in Copenhagen, that became kind of the path that I took. And, uh, Started to work in a few different tech companies, always in sales, business development roles, helping to scale in different markets. 
Uh, going back to the adventurous side, always tried in different cities, so lived in quite a few different cities, uh, most recently in Stockholm, New York, and Amsterdam. And then, you know, at the side to all my work, um, which always also was a lot with regards to sort of engagement technology somehow, I also, you know, love this sense of connecting people, um, even, you know, in other formats. And hence, I supported quite a few event organizations and that how I got connected to a lot of incredible founders and they inspired me to one day, you know, maybe dare to start my own company. And finally, summer 2019, I felt I had, you know, come to that period in life where you, you know, take the jump yourself into into what is the start of this entire journey. And uh, I moved to London and fast forward to today. I'm, you know, now the yeah co-founder, as you said, of Unlock. And, you know, we are helping remote teams all over the world to sort of connect um, and create better cohesion uh, through our SaaS-enabled marketplace. Uh, great. Th- thanks for that. And we, we're getting to the, or really dive into the, the family yeah. story uh, in, shortly. But, but first of all, like, why particularly that problem? Like, why did you found Unlock and decide to solve this problem? Yeah, I think it goes back to this uh, kind of like, you know, red thread that I had in my life, which was all about connections, experiences, uh, engagement, events. And I knew that if I one day were to start a company, it probably would be in the area of enabling better connections. And I think it's important to go for an area which you feel very excited about, which you kind of really understand the deeper problems as well uh, in order to create something truly unique in that space as well. Um, so, you know, basically 2019, where we set out to start a company and had met my two co-founders, Starshek and Ellie, um, we need, immediately knew we need to kind of work on this problem of, you know, how do how can like companies and employees create better connections? And we actually started from a perspective that was a little bit different to what it is today. So essentially it was first about creating better connections with future hires to reduce the time and cost to hire. Um, and that, you know, sort of we created the first version for that. And essentially that was four months before the whole pandemic kicked off. Uh, and with the incredible, you know, market changes and everything that happened, I think we kind of reassessed a little bit where we were going with that product. And as we were speaking with so many people leaders and employee experience leaders, everyone was somehow asking us, you know, is there any way where we can use Unlock since it's all about enabling better connections? Uh internally instead and we really struggled to create that sense of belonging the sense of team cohesion and build culture remotely and uh, unlock had something in it you know which we felt could really enable that to a better extent so that became kind of the path and then we dig a little bit deeper into this problem of why it's not really working well today you know how are the solutions what's uh, what's the current um, you know availability of products that are helping for it and why is it still such a struggle. And I think there we, you know, discovered different things, such as, for instance, you know, knowing that we didn't want to take an approach of let's build an office online for distributed teams and copy what works physically into digital like into you know a digital world, but really rethink of how we bond and how we create those connections. Um, and then essentially we felt, you know, it needs to consist of two things. It needs to have this venue where you, a place you to go to for the mindset of, you know, when you're doing something which is about culture building, maybe about the non-work moments. You need to have a special and dedicated space for it. And the second component was all about, it also needs to have a lot of variability. And, um, you know, everyone gets bored of doing the same thing all uh, every time. So that's how kind of the whole concept of what if it also could have a marketplace and offer, you know, 
and we could partner with incredible virtual creators that are experts in, uh, you know, virtual engagement and sort of combine these two to create much more of this all-in-one platform, essentially, that helps companies and remote teams in that way. And yeah, and then, you know, that's uh, that's how it's uh, started, really, <laughs> during, uh, you know, very specific, very challenging months, but something great came out of it as well. <laughs> Amazing. And as you said earlier, you dared to be an entrepreneur and you had your, you, you know, that desire, some entrepreneur ideas, and yeah. you deliberately then went to Antler um, to then find your co-founders. Can you tell us a little bit about <clears throat> this experience and why you chose that that path and, and I guess what the end result was? Yeah, absolutely. So back in 2009, where I felt, you know, I was ready to start a company, it was all about, you know, I knew that I didn't want to do this journey. It's a very hard journey that every, everyone knows that. And I really needed the right co-founders to do so. And in my needed network, I didn't have sort of the right um, people, essentially, that also had the complementary skills, but more very similar skills to myself. Um, and I heard about this concept of Antler. I was actually in Singapore. They were uh, where I came across them for the first time and got really attracted to the fact that they somehow, you know, was this venture builder who had kind of an infrastructure in place that reduces the barriers, I would say, of starting a company. So it has, you know, the foundation, it has the connection, and it really is that kind of stepping stone to enable, I think, a lot of founders or, you know, potential founders that maybe, you know, it is hard and, and need a little bit of extra push or help from some perspective. Um, and, and you know, for me, it was all about finding that right, the other co-founder, really, that was the most attracted in their proposition. So I met the partners in London and got selected into their first cohort. Um, and uh, I think, you know, in the end, uh, when it comes to these programs similar to App Learning, if it's all about do you uh, like it's a little bit of luck whether you actually also meet uh, the right co-founders and someone that you truly click with. And in my case, I was really lucky to meet Darshak and Ellie. Uh, who I immediately had this very special bond with. I think it somehow just from a value perspective, from personality, from, you know, we also complemented each other. You know, Darshak is the technical co-founder and Ellie came from a more operational uh, background as well. So I think we all just felt that, you know what, there is something truly special with uh, with our little group and we could handle and tackle all of the early, like the areas that are needed at the start. Um, and most importantly, we were all equally excited about the prospect of working on platforms and, you know, the problems of how do we sort of connect better. And, and that's how it started. And, you know, Antler works in a way where you basically have two months. Uh, you go through this kind of uh, period, which is a little bit of the founder matching. And it's all about finding the right team and idea. And then after two months, you pitch to an investment committee. And then they select essentially a few companies after that that will go through um, a few months until there is, you know, a formal demo day. Or at least back then it had it was an in-person big demo day. Um, so, yeah, so we were lucky. We passed that first investment, um, essentially. So Antler became our investors as well. Um, and then we started to build, you know, the first version of that product at that time. And I think, you know, yeah, we definitely didn't know what was about to come in 2020 a few months later. Um, and we were also lucky because, you know, we had a demo day in January last year. And uh, in February, basically, we raised a little bit of a smaller additional round. And I would say, again, you know, sometimes in life, uh, somehow timings work out. And for us, it certainly did, because that helped us to then, you know, 
go through as well the pandemic in the way that we have done as such. Uh, but yeah, that's that's how it started, and yeah, where 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 the whole journey really took off. <laughs> so in terms of that, so after finishing Antler and building that first version of the product, yeah. uh, what was tell us a little bit about that? How long <laughs> that took? What steps you took? Uh, maybe some details around that. Yeah, I think I mean very much when it comes to conceptualizing idea, I think we have been very much trying to, you know, relatively quickly bit of, like put something together and put them in people's hands or at least show them. So I think nowadays there are so many different tools where, you know, if you have an idea in mind and in my case, you know, Darshak, one of our co-founders, like one of the co-founders is just great at quickly mocking up, you know, things in Figma and uh, making them look great. And I think th- those were the things that we tried at the start to get a little bit of validation of the concept um, and really trying to, you know, understand, you know, what else, what else we can build here, how, how, what is missing, and really both doing, you know, a lot of quantitative in, sort of surveys, a lot of qualitative interviews with with leaders. But I think it's super key to be very kind of, um, you know, just be out there as quick as you can with users and iterating directly with them. And that's also what we did because essentially after, you know, the pandemic and started for us that meant that you know it, yeah i would say march was a total blur it was a very stressful month everyone you know were really scared in that sense and, and we also took a little bit of step back then and tried to because i think we had been through this russian antler where you just have to you know get to the next stage and you have to have demo day and when march ha- you know in march we could somehow um reassess a little bit what we were doing and also align it better to our kind of natural uh, excitement in areas of interest which i think are so important for kind of again this like entrepreneurial ideas and how much energy you're spending on it it's so so important that it really is something that you're naturally very excited and curious about and even on weekends want to learn more about because it's just you know is in that space and i think you know we then shifted a little bit to that and again went through you know another prototyping <laughs> version of I re- even remember actually, like right uh, on paper, I think I have it somewhere, like the version that we kind of just, you know, this would be a cool thing if we could change it into this version. And you would have these rooms and you would have all of these uh, things in the platform. And actually, three three weeks after Darshak wrote the first code, we hosted our kind of test session as well. Uh, so we tried to be really quick again in like getting users there. And that was actually the moment when we hosted that session uh, with users on a really scrappy still uh, first version, when we noticed, okay, there is something real here because there was so much, um, you know, delightness and people were really enjoying and there were so many laughs. And I think, yes, you, you kind of feel it a little bit, you know, when, when people go away from your product, first of all, the time to value on this second iteration was so much shorter. And, and secondly, it just delighted customers in a completely different way. Uh, essentially. So yeah, you know, I think uh, coming back, don't remember exactly the question, but essentially all about, you know, getting out to users as fast as possible, yeah. iterating with them. No, no, great. So, and in terms of that, um, so from that, that first version, or the first idea, mm-hmm. what Unlock is now, uh, and it, I, I guess, learning that from customers and, uh, you know, iterating to, to get to this kind of version, what was the time period from when you realized, okay, first of all, we, we built this first version, but now, you know, we've got what Unlock is today. Um, yeah, so how, how long did it take to, to kind of pivot and iterate to get to the product that it is today? 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I would say that in March and April, we kind of ideated and started to change the idea. And then we shipped, we started to code the new version, like beginning of uh, May. And then essentially in June last year, we had this first testing session that I told you about. And then after, I think in end of July, we released a little bit of an improved version. And that's when we started to essentially... Uh, you know, we created a new website and or kind of landing page. We realized that it was also a lot more easier to get user excited, even though it was early product. So we kind of also then selected 30 companies that we basically uh, worked very closely with during the fall to kind of iterate on the concept and learning a lot from that. And, you know, how what's working? What do we still need to improve? And then the entire fall was spent kind of yeah, just um, conceptualizing, ensuring that we you really are working on the things that deliver more, more value and, um, yeah, iterating on several aspects to ensure this kind of, um, you know, the, the variability. We think I think that was the key and ensure how it flows with existing uh, kind of working systems and, you know, building out the Slack integration and all of those things. And it was really on the back of kind of interacting with customers a lot more that I also felt, you know, really comfortable and ready to go out and raise the, uh, like the next round essentially as well. Which is a, a, a neat segue uh, into uh, the next question. <laughs> so you, you have raised some money and uh, I think as um, you'll be shortly announcing that publicly uh, as well. Tell us a little bit about that fundraising experience. Uh, I mean, why did you want to raise money? Uh, and also what was the, what did the journey look like and why the investors that um, you, you know, uh, that you chose to, to kind of take on board? Um, so yeah, um, keen to keen to learn about that. Yeah, I think um, ultimately, you know, I I kind of set out on the path. I think already, if you decide to go into a venture builder like Ampler, I think you know you're already setting up yourself for a path which is about building much more of sort of highly scalable companies that uh, you know has the potential of being venture backed and. Yeah, it is a very different already kind of world versus, you know, building a lifestyle business or anything, um, anything else in that sense. And for me, we kind of knew, knew that in one way. And we're also, you know, had very high ambitions of what we wanted to do with Unlock. And I think during the fall, essentially, it just came to a point where we also really felt confident in the product of like, actually, you know what, if we fuel kind of if we have a little bit more money here to hire some more people and help on building out the platform, we have a sense that this really kind of will work. And we already see, you know, so many indications through the traction, through the early metrics that, yeah, users are really enjoying. And we got into incredible companies so fast and, and there was really something here. So I think, you know, um, it was that kind of internal conviction from that we saw from customers as well as kind of the fact that, you know, they're, yeah, it, it also is, you know, necessary for building out the platform that we wanted to do in that sense. And uh, yeah, then kicked off. And I think my, since I did a little bit smaller round in the February, I also had a little bit of lessons learned, I would say, from that fundraising experience until the second one. So I said I, the second one that we did uh, raising the, you know, the, the seed round of 2 million, I think that was First of all, we structured the process really well. I think, you know, the classical thing of, you know, preparing everything, your data room, your uh, spreadsheets with all the investors of who you want to target, identifying who could be relevant based on, you know, their investment thesis of stages and all of that. Um, and, you know, finding introductions and to all of them, you know, we definitely only went through kind of warm introductions as well. 
Um, so I really kind of set myself into this mindset of, you know, now I have these weeks, I want to, I need to do it. And it does help a lot to, to structure it that way. And then, you know, once you kick off, it's kind of, um, really important that you also, you know, kind of in the mindset of there will be a lot of rejections also, and you need to surround yourself with, you know, people that despite, you know, getting no's and all of it, they kind of help you to, you know, go into the next meeting again and, and do it again, essentially. And, and, and for us, that, um, you know, it eventually became very clear once we talked to quite a few VCs, which one we just had this natural click with and connection. And I do think those are the things you kind of, you know, can't really, you know, there's so many kind of tips of, you know, how to increase your chances of getting funding. But I do still feel if I look back on our fundraise now and kind of think about all the meetings I had, I really could tell after the first meeting if if there was a potential to, to actually for the deal to really happen. I think you really feel it like ultimately they need to be um, you're going to work a lot with these people. You need to have some kind of, you know, yeah, similar again, values, similar way of, you know, viewing the world. And, and, and I think, you know, when I met La Familia, which became essentially my lead investor, that really kind of was this ultimate kind of click where I felt from the moment of the first introduction, I had actually read an article that Judith, the lead partner, had uh, written just a few months before regarding what was missing in this remote workspace. And it was very much what we were kind of actually building. And I think it also resonated really a lot with kind of what she was looking for. Um, it also, you know, I had a strong introduction into La Familia through a, an incredible portfolio founder that is a good friend of mine. And I think that is also, you know, another thing that I would say always helps. And then essentially from that moment, I just knew and, you know, everything from how fast it went to go to from, you know, the Zoom call to WhatsApp and and then that just progressed really well. But I kind of, you know, again, sensed it in the first call with them that there was something special here. And uh, yeah, it just proved to to be right for us in that sense. What about getting initial traction, finding those first customers what what has been the the tactics the strategy uh, to do that and acquire those first customers yeah very much again going through your own networks and founder led sales i think i you know it can't be overstated how important it is to be close to your customers at an as an founder and we very much you know still I honestly like it's the favorite thing to do also during a fundraise i had a bit of tactic of whenever i got a rejection i cut, i texted a customer i have quite a few on whatsapp and, you know, honestly, they all me, always brought me back on track because I knew that, like, all these people are here, you know, and they are the ones using the product and they are so positive. So, yeah, very much founder-led sales. And I think if you focus on making your initial, a few, you know, customers or users really excited, delighted and kind of successful using your product, um, they also, it starts to kind of, you know, have spill-off effects. They start to introduce you to other companies. They all of these things kind of natural happen if you just focus initially on a core group. And that has been very much, you know, our mantra at the start. Um, and that paid off in that sense, because I think, you know, also at the start, I would say that you will definitely experience a few that, you know, can't deal with a buggy product and will be a little bit upset, but you will always find this core little group that is forgiving and um, super supportive. And we found that. And then through that, we kind of started to, um, yeah, be introduced to more and more companies, essentially. I, I, quite a few amazing customers have actually came through the uh, for your network as well, through the SaaS Talk uh, founder membership. 
as well. So that's definitely something to highlight as well. You know, what communities are you part of? I think there's so much support and help, uh, you know, among founders to founders nowadays. And, and that has also been, you know, something that truly has generated incredible effects for us. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. <laughs> what, what, what are some of your, um, like, key takeaways then from your experience to date being the CEO and co-founder of, of, of Unlock? It's still early in the journey, but, yeah. you, you know, there's a lot of experience there. So, what are some of the key takeaways that you could share? Yeah, I think, again, what I just mentioned a little bit, it comes really back to this. I know it's, you know, we all, they always say it, and it's easy to somehow forget once you're in the journey because you have so many things to do, but it is this customer focus somehow. And never to forget that and never to kind of, you know, ensure that every day you somehow have some interactions with them because they're the only ones that will help you build the right product. They're the ones that will take you through the hard moments of this journey. Um, they will help you to fundraise, you know, ultimately, if the customers like you, the investors will also be excited about it. So really about that. Um, and, you know, yeah, being a little bit picky as well of in terms of, you know, who those customers are and ensuring if someone doesn't show enough interest or it seems to be very harsh on you on where you are with the product, maybe it's better to wait a little bit and onboard them at the later stage as well and, and not kind of risk that relationship too much in that sense. And secondly, I would say, you know, from a more sort of personal perspective as well, going through this journey, again, about who you surround yourself with and kind of creating that support mechanism around yourself. So for me, I have, for instance, a group of founders that are both at the similar stage, so kind of at the seed level, but I also have a group of founders on, you know, more the AB level already um, and a little bit further that I think are, you know, the conversations I have with them are just brutally honest. It's like you can, you know, yeah, you just share everything, all the struggles and everything that's going well and that not so well. And I think those moments um, or those conversations have really always been super, super fundamental um, to know how to navigate, you know, through the ups and downs of such a journey that this is. No, yeah, definitely. And uh, like uh, on, on that, I mean, it's one of the reasons that we yeah. created the SASA founder membership. Yeah. Right to to we understand how difficult it is to build any business, but especially a SaaS business, and you know, for people to go it alone makes it just so much more harder mm. to su surround yourself with a supportive group. Uh, you know, is, uh, is is extremely valuable, and you know, again, that's what we're looking to build and are building with the with the SaaS founder membership. So uh, uh, definitely that value of the support network, and we've seen, and you've probably seen that as well. Um, that, you know, successful CEOs, you know, they have a support network, right? And they've always kind of designed and optimized for that. Um, so definitely something not to not to ignore if you if you can. What, what about from your learning, learning from other people, um, like within your support group? Uh, but are like, are there any like particular like books that you like business books that have kind of helped you uh, uh, to date? Is, is that something that's been uh, important? Yeah, I think actually before before this journey started, I must say I somehow have had so much more time to to read as well. So that's something I should get back to a little bit better on when it comes to maximizing my own time. But I did actually have this like, uh, especially with the quick, you know, Blinkist, for instance, you know, I actually did a challenge with myself to read 100 of Blinkist in a month. Uh, so there's lots of small, you know, tips and nuggets here and there. I think the most recent ones that has truly been impactful, especially once you're already a little bit into the journey, it is The Messy Middle by Scott Belsky. And I think it was recommended by another founder. And 
yeah, it really kind of shines the light exactly on those things that um, you're going through more kind of mentally of, you know, the challenges of how to navigate, what to, what to do when it comes to, you know, the product, how can you set up processes and what you structure. So I think for me, that has become a little bit of like a helper um, recently, uh, which has been a great one. I would definitely recommend that one. Awesome. Yeah, I could say I've, I've had quite a few <laughs> recommendations recently of books that I've, I've never read. So that's another one, uh, but I'll, you, I'll, I'll look to. Are you um, reading enough or are you having time to read now, right now? Yeah, well, <clears throat> it's a good question. I, I am a big reader, but what I found, I used to read on my commutes into yeah, London. Exactly. So I'd be, I'd be on the train mm. for three hours a day, but three, three days a week. Yeah. So I'd, I'd have plenty of time to read on the train. But since the pandemic, the kind of initially the habit stopped. I found it very difficult because you're working obviously during the day. You know, got kids. Kind of, you know, before I start work and after uh, I start work, and, and generally in the evening, yeah, I'm kind of too tired to to read. It's very difficult. So I've tried, and I've also fallen out of the habit a little bit. But I, I basically tried to to get around this to set my alarm at five a.m. Uh, to get up uh, and basically do my exercise and reading before anybody wakes up, right? Yeah. But just to find that time where, where nobody else is around to kind of get that in. And I was very good at it for like maybe six months. And yeah. I, I just like over the summer period, I kind of, you know, when the alarm goes off, I'm hitting snooze, uh, you know, a little bit. It's getting it darker. It's just a bit more of a challenge. So I feel I feel a little bit bad that I'm I'm, I'm not, uh, as good as I, I was uh, around that, and I keep I keep buying books, and yeah. then they're just kind of like sitting there. And, you know, I have to read them, but uh, yeah, as you can see, I've got a got a few there. I think I've read most of these, uh, but there's there's probably a whole bunch that I bought that uh, that I haven't read. But uh, hopefully, I'm going to get back into it. I keep keep telling myself to set that alarm at five and and wake up and uh, and actually not hit snooze. So I think yeah. it's going to happen. But it, it's getting darker. It's getting darker, and you know. Winter, it is, it's, but uh, it's cozy, you know, to so. read in the in the fall and winter with you know some nice little candles and all of that. So, <laughs> I think in one way the fall is almost easier to to make those books actually, you know, uh, yeah, ensure that you actually get get somewhere with them. Definitely, and I, I am getting back, but not not to the way that I was, but getting back to some form of commuting. So we're now doing like flexi yep. work. We've got an office space in London. You know, I'm going in maybe once, maybe twice a week, uh, kind of if that. So then I do get, a, a, again, a little bit more time then to uh, to, to get some reading in, uh, although I've been working uh, sort of recently on the, on the train. But I'll, I'll, I'll get back to it. Um, so, well, so, Maria, what, what's next uh, and where can people find you online? Yes. So right now we're super excited to, you know, be launching Unlock more publicly. We have been, you know, working a lot with customers and companies in a more kind of closed version and trying to improve the product and adding more and more activities. I think there's around, you know, more than 50 um, creators that we're collaborating that are having amazing different activities on the platform and more than 300 different small conversation and starters and sort of really purposeful and meaningful ways how you can interact uh, with your team. And now we're excited to, you know, open it up a little bit more and uh, look forward to see how that goes and announcing sort of, you know, all the stuff that we've been building for quite a few months. And uh, yeah, when it comes to finding me, I think nowadays it's easy to find most people, right? So I'm on uh, all the social platforms at Maria Vlasinska or just email me directly at maria at joinunlock.com. So obviously, thank you for 
for sharing you, you know such a, a amazing story uh, as i said like looking forward to using this for the sas.founder membership um you know some uh, uh, excellent sort of insights in, into you know how to come from an idea uh, you know through to you know creating a product and finding co-founders and getting investment so it's just like uh, yeah, so many great insights going to share there today. So really, really appreciate that. Uh, and looking forward to see, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, the journey and follow the journey as you scale uh, Unlock. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world.